Good morning. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us here online. I know with COVID on the rise in our community, more and more people are choosing to access things this way, and that is okay. We are continuing to meet in person at this point, as long as we're allowed to by the guidelines. Uh, we are masking and following the recommendations. So uh, if you'd like to join us, we will do that as safely as possible as well on a Sunday morning. But thank you for being with us today. We've been in the book of Ephesians and we're going to continue with our study of Ephesians today. You know, for the first half of Ephesians, we looked at the first three chapters. It was all about what God has accomplished in Jesus, how we have been saved in Jesus. We have been loved. We are loved. We are forgiven. We've been redeemed. We've been made alive in Christ. Paul speaks of people who were separate being brought together in under under Christ in one new humanity. So the first half of Ephesians was all about what God has accomplished in Jesus and now we're in the second half of Ephesians. And the second half is more about our response, the believer's response to what God has done and what it looks like to be imitators of God, what it looks like to follow God and to live a life of love. And so that's what we've been talking about and that's what we're going to continue today. In fact, our topic today is... It's a doozy. Today he speaks to marriage. All right. And we've been married for 17 years Yes. Now. And our anniversary is December 13th. He's so good. Nailed awesome. it. Yeah, he's going to speak to marriage and it's kind of an interesting text. Uh, challenging one in many ways. This text has been just grossly misused at times in the past and in the church and in homes and, and marriages. Um, we don't want to do that today. Uh, I actually think this paints quite a beautiful picture when properly understood, uh, but we do want to acknowledge that there's some hurt that exists because of the way this has been applied. And maybe some of us here today are going to be listening to this text and kind of cringing and feeling some of that pain or something drawn back up want you to know we're going to walk with you through that, and, and we'd love to have a conversation with you if you're feeling those things. Um, but today we dive into Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And we want to start off by saying a quick prayer. You know, God is with us as we read scripture. The Spirit is with us, guiding us, and, and just opening our minds to new insights. And so I just want to take a moment to intentionally invite the Holy Spirit to be with us as we read and talk about this text. Dear God, we thank you for your words in the book of Ephesians. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for all the things that you have accomplished in Christ. And God, now as we go to this specific passage, God, I pray that your spirit would continue to surround us, hold us tenderly and gently for, for those of us who might um, be hurting as we hear this passage. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would just guide us and give us wisdom and insight as we read this and as we talk about this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so here we go. We're going to start off in Ephesians 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, for which he is the Savior. Now, as the, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. 
Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife, uh, he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Okay, so Paul paints <laughs> There's here. There's a lot in there. There's a lot in here. And Paul paints here a very countercultural picture of what marriage would look like. Let me clarify. It looks very different than what first century relationships and marriages look like. And we'll get into the details of that in a minute. It looks very different than relationships are oriented here and now. I was reading this really interesting article. I'm thinking about kind of our culture and what marriage looks like in our culture. And uh, it was actually listening to a podcast about um, these two gals that were uh, talking about marriage. And the question for this um, uh, millennial uh, age group and them and those that they claim they represent, the question had moved beyond, should I get married? to why would I get married? That was the tone of the conversation. And so what, wherever we come at this subject from, uh, understand that the picture painted here is probably quite different than what we've known or experienced or seen demonstrated around us. So let's dig into it, try to figure out what is this picture that he's painting for us. And we're going to look, as, as we look into this, um, as we talk about this passage, we're going to look at the cultural context surrounding this passage and also the larger biblical narrative. So it helps us to understand how the first century church would have understood this. So we start off in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay. We don't love that you, word you submit. You use the S word. Right, exactly. <laughs> when I, I don't know what you think of. When I think of um, submission, I think of um, MMA, uh, mixed martial arts, you know, fighting. Give up. Yeah, when you tap out. Like, you are in a position where you are at mortal risk, mm -hmm. and so you submit, you tap out of that fight. If that's what he was saying here, we'd have a big problem, right? Absolutely. But he's not referring to that at all. Submit here simply means to place yourself under another, okay? Um, so what he is describing here is the voluntary decision to give up our rights to someone else. And that's kind of a challenging thing to talk about right now in our society. Uh, I mean, we live in a nation that is very proud of our rights and for good reason sometimes. However, it creates this individualism and this self-absorbedness that makes something like saying submit, that is give up your rights for the sake of others. It makes this very hard for us to digest. Yes, it does. 
And it's interesting as we look at the context here, how this um, verse, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, is actually connected to the previous verses. Now, in many of our English Bibles, um, there's actually a little subheading that was added later um, in, in the previous section and this section. But in the Greek, in the original language, it's actually all one sentence. Mm -hmm. That subtitle is actually in the middle of a sentence. So this sentence begins in verse 18, where it's talking, Paul's talking about instead of um, living it like you used to as Gentiles, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so that's the main verb of the sentence, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Paul has four different um, participles. So like ING verbs is a good way of thinking about it um, that describe what it's like to be filled with the Spirit in, in, in this case. And so he speaks to, he says, be filled with the Spirit speaking from the Spirit, that your words would be Spirit-filled. Be filled with the Spirit singing and making music to the Lord, worshiping. Be filled with the Spirit giving thanks to God for everything. And then the fourth one, be filled with the Spirit submitting hmm. to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this is part of what it means to be a live a Spirit-filled life. And the sentence doesn't end there. In Greek, the sentence actually continues to the next section. So it reads something like this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to their husbands as to the Lord. And so in fact, it doesn't repeat that word submit. It's just connected to that mm -hmm. submit to one another. And this is really significant because as we continue on and as we read the sentence in English that says wives submit to your husbands, it's important for us to, to realize it's not a standalone statement. This is a statement connected to the previous statement. It's made in the context of, hey, this is what a spirit-filled community looks like. It's It looks like thanksgiving and, and worship and speaking in the spirit. And also it looks like all the members of this community submitting to one another. Yeah. Okay. So this idea of mutual submission, uh, husband submitting to their wife and a wife submitting to their husband is what he's talking about here. Now, this is radical language in mm -hmm. the first century and in the Roman world. Paul is writing to the churches in Ephesus. This is a Roman region. And um, Roman marriage looked very different than it does today for in our culture. Um, in fact, in some ways, kind of cringeworthy as I think through this and describe this, um, the average age that a man would be married in Roman society um, is often said late 20s or early 30s, somewhere around mm -hmm. 30 maybe men are getting married. Um, whereas the average age for women, some of the reading and some of the, the, the sources say it's more like 15 years old. I know in Roman society, 12 years old was the youngest legal age for a woman, a girl to be married. And so you can imagine how a 30-year-old man uh, who now has moved out of the house and is living in his own house marries a young woman who then is expected to take care of the household, to have children for him. You, you see how patriarchal and how top-down this relationship looked there. And, and so now listen to what Paul is saying into that culture. He's saying to Gentile people in the church, 30-year-old man that just got married to a teenage-aged woman, and he's saying, here's what marriage looks like in the context of Christ and the church. 
submit to each other. Husbands, submit to your wives. And he'll go on to give even more stark and challenging uh, directives for husbands in a moment. It's it's really important for us to to acknowledge the the cultural context there that Micah is speaking of as we read through this text. Women were practically um, invisible at this time. They had very little rights. They they had um, just very little freedoms in it. In fact, um, in this culture, when you had mixed companies, so when you had men and you had women women often weren't even addressed, like they weren't even spoken to. So here we have a letter written by Paul to the churches throughout the region of Ephesus. And not only is is he including women in the audience, but now he's specifically addressing women. And so in this context, that is pretty significant. And so, so he's addressing women and here's what he says, he says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, for which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Okay, so he's going to use two keywords here. Remember, the previous sentence, submit to each other. Let's not lose sight of that. And then he goes on to say to wives, now submit to your husbands. Okay. And in the context of mutual submission, uh, he specifically, again, uses this word submit with the wives. And then with the husband, he's going to use the word love. But here's what I want to get at. Those are not mutually exclusive. When he tells a wife, when he uses the word submit when speaking to the wife, it doesn't mean she's off the hook when it comes to love, right? Right. He's still going to encourage, naturally, wives love your husbands also. When, in fact, it's connected. So Mm -hmm. he says submit to each other wives to your husbands. He doesn't even repeat that word. It's connected to that previous Okay. And inversely, when he speaks to husbands and says, um, love your wives, of course he's not omitting them from submit to each other. In the previous verse, he just said, Mm -hmm. submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. So they're not mutually exclusive. He's talking about love and mutual submission. However, when we read this text and we read, you know, the sentence in, in English that says, wives submit to your own husbands, it can feel very shocking. And it does. It feels shocking to us and a bit archaic as we read that, mm-hmm. as, as we assume that this submission and this headship that Paul is speaking of, where the husband is the head, we assume that implies inferiority and power over. And now in the context of the first century um, church, it, this in this first century patriarchal society, the husband was indeed the head. The husband was indeed the leader. He had all the status. He had the power. He had the authority. In fact, uh, a woman would would be very hard pressed to survive without being under either her husband or her father, because there was no means for a woman mm-hmm. to um, to live and to sustain herself. So, so as we read this submit to your husband, it's really shocking to us. If we think about it from a first century Christian's perspective, well, that part's not, not shocking. I was like, well, of course, women are subjugated to men in that society. The the submission to your husband was the norm. So that actually wasn't new news. That wasn't news to them. That's just how it was. But there is parts of this that was shocking to them. That was extraordinary 
to them. Again, this context of mutual submission, Paul saying, hey, I'm speaking to both parties Mm -hmm. here, submit to each other. And then his reasoning, don't submit because one is inferior. It's not submission out of inferiority, but it's submission out of reverence for Christ. Mm -hmm. Submission because of what Christ has done. And so the way they would have heard this would have been very different than how we hear it today. Mm -hmm. And it would have felt very different. In fact, it would have felt like Paul was liberating, like uplifting Mm -hmm. women in this society. Okay. And the way I read and and hear kind of these roles and conversation uh, of marriage, um, I hear this as descriptive as opposed to prescriptive, right? What I hear Paul describing is what marriage looked like in the first century, not saying that this is how it is supposed Mm -hmm. to be. Um, and, and he uses this phrase in here as he describes the way marriage plays out in their society. Um, and, and he says the husband is the head of, mm-hmm. of the wife. Um, and uh, th- he doesn't give a lot of detail on exactly what this means. And so what typically happens here is in our patriarchal societies, we define that headship as whatever authority is already natural within our society, right? We take and transpose our society onto the language, just reinforcing what we already think, not a healthy way to read this. Uh, So we would maybe in our context hear this headship, and it has been argued in the church uh, that this means that the husband is the decision maker or uh, in charge of the finances of the home or is the breadwinner or, you know, name whatever else we've heard used here. But that's not at all what Paul says. He doesn't say any of those things. Instead, what he does as we go on to verse 25 is he says, husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Right. So he says, you are the head in this culture. He describes, hey, you are the head. And so here's what it looks like to live with the uh, power or authority or whatever your culture has given you. Give yourself to your wife to the extent that Jesus did gave his life for the church. You know, one might have assumed or thought in this culture that Paul would write something like, hey, wives, submit to your husbands and husbands rule over your wives because that was the accepted, that was the cultural norm. And instead he says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Mm -hmm. And this love that he's referring to is much more than a feeling or a romantic love. He's referring to agape love, a love that is self-giving, that is self-sacrificing, that takes action for the well-being of another. So instead of of giving um, husbands the instruction to exercise power over their wives, he says quite the opposite. He says, lay down your rights, yield the power that and position that you have been given by society and do this voluntarily. Mm-hmm. Look at Christ's example. And when I, when I think about Christ's example, I can't help but think about Philippians 2 verses 5 through 8. So I want to read that for us. Listen for the example set by Christ. In Philippians, uh, Paul writes this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So the example of Jesus is one of humility and one of obedience to God the Father. Jesus gave up his privilege and power as he sat by at the right hand of God. He, he was incarnated as a human being and he loved and served to the point of even giving up his life. And so Paul says, husbands, that, that headship that you have, this is what it looks like in the kingdom of God. Love like Jesus has loved. It's shocking. He's speaking to a culture in which husbands had all the rights and no accountability mm -hmm. to how they treated their wives or what mm -hmm. they did in their own household. And he's saying love to that extent. It's radical what he's saying in their culture. Speaking of their culture, I want to dig just a little bit deeper because Paul is speaking um, to an active conversation mm -hmm. uh, that is philosophers throughout history had and were in his day defining both political structures, household structures. Mm -hmm. For instance, Aristotle actually spoke to um, marriage, children, and slaves in one of his addresses. The same three right. things that Paul is going to speak to in, in order here in Ephesians. And Aristotle, um, he defines the family as the building block of a healthy society. And the household is actually, in his mind, kind of structured in similar ways to um, the political structures. So, for instance, in, uh, in Rome, the emperor is hailed as the son of God at his, at his inauguration. He's considered a deity sitting on the throne of Rome. And similarly then, Aristotle just defines family, these household structures, as kind of a microcosm of the larger uh, society, giving men that same authority and position to rule over their households. Well, Christian terms and Paul's description, this is radically different than what, what Aristotle and others would be describing. Instead, he says mutual submission. Husbands, give up your life for the sake of your wives. This is one of those examples of the way Christianity was just lived in stark contrast mm -hmm. to society and was in fact quite disruptive in its culture because the societal norms would not stand in light of Jesus and his examples. I mean, imagine walking down the road, passing all these different households and the different types of conversations mm -hmm. you would hear in like uh, your typical household and then and then walking by a Christian household that was actually practicing wow. this. The conversations and the ways of engaging would be drastically different. And so the last verse that we're going to read today, and we'll continue um, next week, the last verse we're reading today is verse 33. And Paul says, However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So Paul says, husbands, love your wife. Wives, respect your husbands. And so often these two things have been um, separated, have been put in two separate boxes. Mm -hmm. And yet here, remember, our context is mutual submission. And so, yes, husbands are to love their wives and also they are to respect 
their wives. And wives, yes, you are to respect your husbands and also you are to love your husband. So these two things are not mutually exclusive. They're they're together. They describe, they help describe what mutual submission looks like. So as we zoom out, both the husbands and wives, he is saying, submit and follow the example of Jesus. Like mm-hmm. Jesus loved the church and gave his life for it. Give your lives for each other. Give up your own rights for the sake of others. Care deeply. Invest intentionally in this relationship. This is Paul's challenge to Christian households. And this is in a culture where power structures were the norm. And though our power structures are different today, a lot of some of the similarities definitely exist there. Paul is saying in a culture where power structures place husbands above and over their wives, Paul says, I, I want to describe a different way of life. I want to paint a different picture of what marriage is to look like. Instead, submit to each other, two spouses at the same time, submitting to each other and imitating the way of Jesus, imitating this agape love, this laying down and yielding of whatever rights or privileges or position one might have for the benefit of the other. This is what loving like Jesus looks like. Okay, now we want to zoom out just even further out of this text and Mm -hmm. get a little bit more holistic biblical uh, perspective. And we'll do that fairly briefly as we close out here. But um, as an egalitarian church, it's important that egalitarian simply refers to equality uh, Mm -hmm. and equal opportunity and rights. And so when it comes to men and women or uh, when it comes to other conversations in the church, we say equality, opportunity. And for a number of reasons, we're going to zoom out a little bit and Mm -hmm. make that case just uh, very briefly here for us. Um, you know, one of the challenging things about dealing with texts like this and some others that deal with uh, gender roles or marriage is that Paul doesn't necessarily speak against the societal norms. He doesn't say, so it's just plain wrong. He, he does in some respects, and he redefines it, and he says, live radically different within the context in which you live. And this can be kind of challenging. It can kind of be a rub. I feel it and sense it sometimes uh, as I'm reading scripture. But one of the helpful things to me is to look at the directionality of scripture. That is, understanding the context that he's speaking into, look at how radically liberating he is speaking. And then we, in our context and society, say, what does it look like to experience that liberation? This is a directionality of Scripture. So just because he maintains a patriarchal posture in a household in, in some of his language here does not mean that is the kingdom goal. In fact, in just a minute, we're going to look at how it's very different. Well, and, and with that, that idea of looking at the, um, the biblical narrative at large, I want to just point out a few interactions that Jesus had with women that we read of in the gospel. Again, women had very little rights, and yet we see Jesus treating women with dignity and with respect. He talked to women when it was socially uh, not not acceptable to speak to women with the Samaritan woman who was an outcast. He healed women. When a woman who was bleeding came to touch his robe to be healed, he, he didn't just heal her. He stopped to have a conversation 
with her. He taught women, which was not allowed at that time. He he told Mary, yes, you may sit at my feet and learn mm-hmm. from me. The women weren't allowed to learn from rabbis. He had many female followers. He appeared first to women after he was resurrected and, and instructed them to be the first witnesses mm-hmm. of his resurrection. So as we look at how Jesus interacted with women, we see him operating very differently than how the culture operated at that time. He treated women with dignity and respect, valuing them. Mm -hmm. So while the gospel and the biblical narrative spoke to and engaged a culture, Mm -hmm. specifically where it was at, and, and, um, and, and didn't always immediately change all of those things, Galatians 3 is so central to my understanding of the broader kingdom principle, the direction of scripture, the direction of what is happening in these societies through the church. Uh, Galatians 3 describes that, that pinnacle, uh, vision, that, uh, kingdom principle. Um, Galatians 3.26, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is that kingdom principle, equality, uh, opportunity for all people. In Jesus Christ, we are made new. And the divisions that society might impart on people uh, do not hold true in the kingdom of God. And what freedom, what mm-hmm. freedom exists in that perspective so today, as we look at this passage, I want we want to invite us to have a different vision for marriage, to really mm-hmm. reflect on what's God's vision for marriage. For, for those of us who are married or for those of us who maybe want to get married or will, will get married in the future, um, marriage, God's vision of marriage is, is one of mutual submission and self-giving love. Mutual submission and self-giving love where spouses are invited to think and care for the other. Where spouses are invited to voluntarily surrender um, their rights or privileges or position, whatever it might be, to voluntarily lay that down in love so that they could benefit and lift up their spouse. And and when I think of a marriage like that, a marriage based on mutuality and equality and this mutual caring and submission and mutual caring for each other, marriage becomes a place of safety mm-hmm. and a place of love. Marriage becomes a place where each spouse is seen and heard and cared for. Marriage becomes a place where, where a spouse can operate freely out out of their gifts and their strengths. And this excites me. This is the picture of marriage that that I want to have, that we seek to have in the picture of marriage that we want to just inspire our churches, our Christians in our churches and also in our society. This is what marriage could look like. Mm -hmm. This is God's vision for it. This paints a beautiful picture for the world to see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's pray about that. God, thank you for this day and this time. Thank you as we get to explore scripture and God, um, where it challenges us 
Thank you for that. Uh, will you give us wisdom? Will you give us um, ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that are moldable, God, that we can be led by your word. God, teach us to live in our relationships with the interests and the well-being of others in mind. Uh, God, specifically in marriage relationships, I pray for mutuality, for opportunity, uh, for um, the mind of Christ in our relationships, uh, that we would live out his example of giving ourselves for the sake of others. And God, where we have experienced hurt, some of us in marriages, some some here today uh, find themselves grieving as, as they look at the contrast in this picture. God, I ask for healing. I, I, I pray for your peace and I pray for opportunity, uh, God, that people can know your love. Jesus, you gave it all for us. We are that loved. Uh, and God, I pray that in our relationships, we can live out that love as well. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. You have a great week. Bye.